Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode of Writing Matters, we speak with Adam Watson. Adam is a former English teacher and currently the digital learning coordinator for Shelby County Public Schools. We talk about his idea of a transitional pedagogy in which we shift away from a focus on particular tools and instead help teachers think strategically about the ways that they can get their students to become content creators and digital writers. Welcome to this episode of Writing Matters. Today, I'm joined by Adam Watson. Adam is the Digital Learning Coordinator at Shelby County Public Schools in Kentucky, as well as a former English teacher. Welcome, Adam. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Troy. Yes, thank you. I think we're going to jump right in, and I know that uh, we share some common interests in our uh, 80s pop culture and uh, <laughs> growth as uh, uh, children of the Star Wars era. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, kind of your path into where you're at right now, and maybe a few of your personal interests with uh, pop culture as well as educational technology. Great. Well, I'd be happy to. Uh, first off, I began my education journey uh, a little later in life. I began when I was 30. Uh, that was the point where I'd completed my Bachelor of Arts and was beginning my Master's of Arts in Teaching uh, degree. Um, but I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. And it was always a, a path that I just always felt a good fulfillment from. You know, I felt of, you know, it was a, it was a vocation. You know, um, that passion um, led me to nine years of classroom teaching as a high school English teacher. Also taught drama and myth and legends and a few other classes. but. On the whole, mainly it was English classes. And um, in the years or getting to the years um, near the end of that part of the career, I started having the opportunity to explore a lot of educational technology, not least of which because educational technology started, you know, coming kind of on the foreground. I remember um, my superintendent of that district at the time, who knew I had that interest, had reached out and said, you know, I saw this press release that Apple's doing something. I wonder, what was it? Oh, yeah, I think it's called an iPad. You know, um, we, we'd love to give you a few iPads. I'm like, iPads, that sounds tremendous. Um, and I use, I use that as kind of a marker to show, you know, to date myself to say that was the, um, really that big explosion of, of the Internet of today, the devices of today, the opportunities and convenience and tools online. Um, so I had an opportunity kind of on the ground floor of some of that. Um, in my my later years of teaching. And from some of that work, I had an opportunity next to um, come to Shelby County Public Schools, where I was uh, first a technology integration coach was my title. And uh, as the years went on, that role grew to this digital learning coordinator position of today. Um, And the short answer I usually give to people of what does that mean and what do I do is that uh, from the very beginning, when I was hired, Shelby had just began an initiative, a one-to-one device initiative that ended up being Chromebooks on the most part for students. And uh, they recognized early on, not least of which seeing some examples of some earlier districts, not even just in Kentucky, who had made the rush to, through grants, through priorities, through whatever funding, they had provided devices, but when they put them in the hands of students, they realized they really didn't have 
the professional development, uh, the support of people to say, what are you going to do with them to, to make uh, teaching different and to transform it? So they re realized very early on in their planning process, we need a person. And that person ended up being me. Um, and as the years went, has gone on, I've, I've kind of enlarged that role as, as far as um, what I do. The heart of it really is just helping though teachers um, do awesome things with technology with students and, and do things differently and hopefully in a more effective way than they had in the past. There's also parts of the job where I'm vetting technology or just even managing different adaptive learning and other systems that we have at Shelby County. But the heart of it and the good stuff is helping teachers help students. Well, and I really appreciate what you just said there to helping them do the awesome thing, because unfortunately, as you well know, so often the technology is there, teachers are told to use something, and then students are imposed upon to use something, and they are not necessarily in the role of being the creators, they're in the role of being a consumer or just a user clicking through. And it seems to me that you have a, a very um, strong disposition towards helping teachers be creative in their teaching so students can be creative in their digital writing and other types of uh, technology use. And I want to say th thank you for that. Um, but I also want to say to be transparent for you and, and the audience is the idea of that that wasn't, I didn't come out of the box well in that, in that regard. Because when I, <laughs> when I first took the job, um, one of the things that I was really good at and people were really excited to hear about, so it was a twofold system, but uh, going two ways, but was the idea of tools. So it was like, tell me about the new, fun, awesome tools. And so in my first year or two, really, it was a lot about that. Um, and there was movement and growth about that uh, as far as tools that people used and things like that. But the problem was, and I realized that, you know, with a few years of wisdom um, and being humble to the fact of maybe this isn't moving along as much as I would like as far as transformation, is that we weren't talking enough about the, the tool serving a greater purpose, uh, or even more importantly than that, thinking of frameworks that would help us realize uh, pedagogically, how are we going to change and transform teaching? So, um, again, in the beginning, you know, I'd be like, here's five great ways you can do a quiz online with kids, let's say. And I would have these great success moments where I would, after a, P a PD in front of a school, you know, a faculty, uh, a teacher would pull me, come out of the hallway, come into the hallway, out of the classroom, and pull me aside and say, Mr. Watson, we just did a Kahoot. And it was awesome. And the kid, I've never seen the kids so excited and everything else. And I would feel really good about myself. It was later, maybe, you know, in the quietness of my office or at home later that day, um, that I would sit there and think, but, but what do they do with that data? Like, how did they take that information that was given and how did that really change things besides what they could have just done with a pencil and paper? I'm glad they had a fun day, but, you know, what was the next step of that? Um, and that was, I realized that was on me. So uh, and to kind of wrap up the moment and the point here I wanted to make, it was things like looking at the framework of Samer. Um, just take one classic and great example of, of realizing I need to talk about that and talk about blended learning, best practice pedagogies. That's at least as important, really, honestly, probably more important than whatever the tool of the day or the year or whatever might be. Um, and then in that context, uh, some of these tools can do phenomenal things. But if you don't have um, that as your basis or your foundation, then the tools just become ornaments on the tree. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that you're bringing a theoretical perspective to it and trying to ground the practice and really solid pedagogy. 
And I know you've written about that recently on your blog. Uh, do you want to remind us of your uh, blog address and where we can find out more about what you're up to lately as you're working with teachers? And then we want to dig into that favorite writing lesson too. Yeah, so <laughs> your, your other social media. <laughs> Greg, great. great. Uh, well, first off, I'm on Twitter at Watson EdTech. Um, I would uh, love to follow and follow you back. Um, as far as uh, my blog, it is watsonedtech.blogspot.com. It is uh, a place um, that, again, came out of a need. I realized um, really early on when I first came to Shelby County Public Schools that um, there's one of me, right? And there's 7,000 students in our district and 500 staff members. So it was um, a necessity. I realized I needed to have a communication device where where can I share two things. First off, how can I share uh, information, thoughts, perspectives, and yes, new tools um, in a way that that clones me, so to speak, um, that enables me to have a, a greater impact. The second part, at least as important, was as I had conversations with the teacher and they had a question about gamified learning or on a certain tool or whatever the case may be, um, I realized the power of being able to say, I did an entry on that. <laughs> I have a blog exactly talking about that. Let me, you know, when I have a second, let me just shoot you the link to that blog entry and there it is, you know. Um, so I, that's as far as the blog itself, that's, that's definitely where it came from. As far as recently, um, kind of along the same lines we were just talking about with Samer, it's the idea of I'm really trying to look and recognize um, and being reflective of my own practice and ability to have an impact of the need that um, of transitional pedagogy is what I called it in my blog entry. It's really the idea that um, we as teachers come and we can probably do those early moves fairly easily, uh, what Samer would call the substitution moves. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, most teachers, I think, for example, from the overhead projector to the PowerPoint, which I did, I was, I've been teaching just long enough that I actually did make that literal jump of, you know, <laughs> one year to the, you know, I was like, oh, yay, I have a computer to a projector. Anyway. Most teachers, I think, can do that fairly easily. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing that when needed or deliberately and, and actually and sometimes not even using technology at all. The big gap of growth, the big moment of truth is that is that moment from that substitution, that lowest level of technology integration to all the ways down the line to you know, actually enhancing your teaching practice um, or going from enhancing to a transformative practice, I should say. So in the blog entry that I talked about recently, it was just looking at that. Um, I was talking about a tool called Nearpod in particular, and, I, and um, I was giving some kudos to Nearpod because Nearpod is a great transitional pedagogical ed tech device because, uh, and it's been around for many years now, um, the brilliance of it is, is that it took what teachers already had a ton of, which is PowerPoints, good, bad, or indifferent, direct instruction versus you know, but bottom line is, is that we have PowerPoints. I love PowerPoints and there is content that we have to deliver. Um, so it's not like I'm picking on or even uh, poo-pooing the idea of lecture. But the bottom line is, is that here's a body of, of material that teachers already have, PowerPoints. Um, Nearpod took that idea and said, well, hey, just take that PowerPoint, bring it into Nearpod. And Nearpod's, you know, magic wand is let's add some interactive elements to it. We can take some polls. We can do a draw it function. We can... Uh, put out a short answer that the kids are answering on their own devices and so on. Um, that, that type of device and that type of move is a comfort level. So I'm going from that, what I'm used to, the direct instruction, the uh, delivery of content through a PowerPoint, taking that and going just one extra level that now with the interactive elements of a Nearpod, for example, 
you're just, you're expanding the possibilities of learning. You're certainly being more engaged and the students are actually more involved and you're on that, that path that, you know, to other things where they're being the creators, as you said, you said it great, you, you know, where you want students to be creators of the content, not just consumers of it. So mm-hmm. it is a great transitional moment. Me as, as a digital learning coordinator, or just a education technology person in general, um, I think we have to recognize that there are some fantastic, high level, very creative, very involved tools that are out there. But we have to recognize that we have that, that transitional, we have to look at the transitional from here to there and, and do a good job of, of helping those teachers along. I, for Shelby County Public Schools, have to do a, a, a better job of making sure that we make that transition happen for more people. And otherwise, they look at some of these opportunities and examples and, and very transformative teaching opportunities and technology. And it's just kind of like, you know, um, they're kind of like deer in the headlights with it. And I get it. You know, mm-hmm. you need to, just like with students, gradual release responsibility or, or with scaffolding, you need to create the opportunity to get them there. Right, right. And certainly I too am interested in helping all teachers across all content areas. And I'm wondering if we could um, zero in thinking about this kind of transformational and transitional pedagogy as you're describing it for English teachers. So to welcome you to put that hat back on and think for a moment about um, either a, a, a lesson, an assignment, a writing prompt, something that you may have done with your own students when you were in the classroom or perhaps something you've collaborated uh, with one of your um, Shelby uh, teachers in the last year or two, something that you see happening specifically related to writing and ideally related to writing and technology. Is there something that you're noticing about the way that students are using technology in their writing as a way to get them to be more creative or to be in that creator role? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to give a couple of, of answers to that. Um, uh, let me start with the now, and then I'll, I'll work to an example from back when I was in teaching. Um, sure. One of the things that I think, and to go back to that phrase of transitional pedagogy, transitional education technology, one of the things that really fits that bell, that, that mold, um, is Google Docs. Um, the Google suite of apps is something that even I sometimes have to shake my head and realize like at Shelby County, when I first got hired the very first year, we got the Google domain. And, you know, for staff, much less students, you know, Google Drive from a self-driving car. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It was like, what's this Google Drive thing? Um, It was very new. It is unbelievable to see the difference of how that has become normalized and, and how wonderful that things like a Google Doc on its most basic of structures, hey, in real time, you and I can collaborate on a document. I can provide comments. Um, we can create something, say a Google slide, and you know share it easily with the outside world because it's an online cloud-based you know um, tool. That is something that has really shifted perspective and ground. And the good news about that is, is that again. Uh, like I said about Nearpod, recognizing what was the previous, what's your previous schema, and let's build on it. Um, often when I do training, and I'm going to put that in quote marks, when I do training on Google, um, what I tell people, and they get it, but I tell people very quickly is, how many people here have done Microsoft products? And 99% of them raise their hand. And it's like Google very specifically made menus and things and contextualization that builds very much on that. And then, so all we have to worry about and talk about are the things that Google does that's different, right? Um, 
And that's the brilliance of it. You know, you can leap in and be like, I've been on a word processor program before. I can, I can probably handle a Google Doc. And it's just the, 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 the 10% of things that make it unique or special in a cloud-based environment that makes it uh, really powerful. Um, but I would say that that's, that's a huge thing that I see that just becomes the day-to-day. And um, while, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if all the students ever did was write an essay in a Google Doc, you know, and there wasn't anything more transformative about it, I would be sad, but I've, I've seen opportunities where the collaboration, the commenting, the feedback, the sharing is becoming just a, a thing that kids know and kids are doing, uh, much less the staff. So um, it, it's, it's been great. Um, going back in time a little bit, and it was really kind of a, it's a little bit of writing, it's a little bit of reading, it's a little bit of, of, of both of those worlds. One of the things that as a teacher I did back in the day, that was probably my biggest moment of seeing the power of technology and seeing a shift is a project that I did that involved literature circles. Um, in particular, it was literature circles that were made into podcasts. So let me describe something that would be very basic. I think most English teachers, especially without technology, would, would completely get. So we all love the idea of kids reading. We all love the kids um, uh, having choice, perhaps, and that these six kids are reading this book and these six kids are reading a different book and, and the power of that. If they're reading on a certain schedule, all that's when they're discussing, you know, discourse being a phenomenally important thing in, in, in education in any content area. Mm-hmm. Well, as a teacher, surprise, surprise, I recognize that, you know, if I was hovering over the, the four or five students, um, they were having a fairly okay type of attempt of talking about the book. Um, but if I wandered away, I suspected because I was only three feet away, but the students, sometimes they forget that, right? So I'm listening with my other ear as I'm standing over here. Um, the conversations, let's just say, would go into non-educational areas, right? They would talk about things besides the book. So I realized there was two major struggles there. One is, is that, and I'm going to use the word clone again, how can I create an environment where the students feel a little bit more like I'm there when I'm not? Which, okay, so what can we do to that? And the second part is, um, how can we make this more authentic? Like at the end of the day, if kids feel like they're just reading a book and just talking about it to the four or five peers, or maybe me, um, it like so many different things we do. It's, 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 you know, if there's no outside audience beyond the classroom, it's very, it's very hard to see the authenticity. So, um, I proposed and at that time it was laptops and mics, you know, it wasn't tablets or anything else. Um, we found a way that, hey, let's just record your conversations. We have, of course, a rubric. We have some expectations. Um, and we're going to publish them as a podcast. And so if someone out there in the world wants to follow you and your three or four different podcasts about book X, uh, they can basically are following along with your journey. It's like virtually listening to your discussion as, as the book goes along. Um, it was, I did this for several years. It was amazing. Always, always, always between podcast number one and podcast number two. Podcast number one was a little unsure, a lot of nervous laughing. Um, they weren't quite sure where it was going and how it would sound. Despite the fact that before I ever started the project, I always gave models. Like, here's an example. I want you to listen. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. What do you think is really good about this, this book talk, uh, po- uh, literature circle podcast discussion? What's bad? And we would talk about it. Despite that, it was always in the doing. They would do the first one. And we would listen, and of course, I would give feedback. And it was amazing how they're like, oh, that's what I sound like. Oh, that's what all those nervous giggles sound like. Huge, huge jump, you know, by, by the podcast number two. But even bigger than that, um, I was very fortunate um, to 
have some good good luck of reaching some of the authors of the books that we had in our podcast circles. Oh, wow. And, That's good. And they reached back to give, you know, hey, I've been listening to a few of your all's discussions, you know, wanted to let you know, I really appreciate it, which... I, you know, teenagers are hard sometimes to flabbergast and that's a strong flabbergast is a word we should use more often in education, I think anyway, but the kids it really was flabbergasted. They were like, they never thought in a million years that their words would ever reach the ears of a teacher or of a, I'm sorry, of the, of the writer of a book. The other one that I remember that was similarly um, impactful was um, a classroom in China had reached out and they said, Hey, you know, Mr. Watson, we just want to let you know, and your students know we're learning English and we've made decisions, we're reading books right alongside the same books you all are so that we can experience that and hearing your all's English students talking English about these books, um, they, were, they were using that right along in their own classroom. And again, wow, that was, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing for a 16-year-old to process that, that I'm spreading literacy, I'm, I'm helping people learn English, I'm, I'm helping Chinese students, and all I'm doing is really just saying, you know, my things about a book. So that was a little long-winded. Uh, but my point of the story, though, was the, the reflections, the things that they would write and prepare before they would come to the discussion, the opportunities to, to talk, the authentic publishing of that podcast out to the audience. It was, it was my first real attempt to make a legitimate transformation kind of opportunity with technology. And that's really launched my journey. I mean, from that point on, I was like, I may not always be able to hit that mark. That was a lot of work. Um, that was a lot of podcasts that I had to listen to, <laughs> to grade, but I, I, I valued that it's five groups and that's just one class, but I'm going to listen to them all. Anyway, uh, it was a lot of work, but certainly, uh, it was one of the most valued work that I felt. It, it really felt like it made a difference in their reading ability, writing ability, speaking, listening ability. That's amazing. Well, and again, you know, you hit on a couple key ideas, the instructional design that went into that whole series of tasks and the intentional ways in which you use technology. I mean, some could look at that and say, oh, that was a little creepy. You were just trying to eavesdrop on students. Whereas <laughs> the way that you actually framed it, and it sounds like they came around to this idea, was that we are trying to speak in thoughtful, intelligent, literate ways. And then the added bonus was, of course, that others listened to them and that they felt that their words had impact, which is really, really powerful. So, wow. Well, I, well I, yeah, I was, well, I was just going to say too, that, um, although that obviously predominantly it was a recording of their voice for a podcast, it really hits to me that the most powerful thing about writing that we as, as teachers of writing, and, and that's, as we could probably all agree is beyond just an English teacher's job, but as teachers of writing, it's the idea that you have a voice. Um, the ability to show to those students, for example, that I might be 16, I'm no English professor, but I can read and have opinions and questions and connections to this book and, I can sh and, and they're worth sharing and that other people reacted and, and related to that. Um, excuse me, with any kind of good piece of writing, that's exactly what we hope to do. If, if, if that's all that we did, in my mind, is make students feel that their voice is powerful and it's worth listening to and reading. Um, the value of that you know, it feels like everything works from there. Yeah, I'd actually like to pick up on that. I mean, we've already talked quite a bit about the types of writing lessons that you've done, thinking about the different technologies you could use. So I'm thinking maybe we can close um, with the big question that I'm trying to get um, all of our guests this season to reflect on, and that is the role of writing in your own life. You know, you just mentioned a moment ago about how helping students identify that they have a voice and that their voice matters is important. 
you too are an educator who writes, you blog, and it looks like you have a very robust professional presence. I'm assuming writing conference proposals and journal articles and other things like that, (laughs) maybe even grant proposals and who knows what else. So um, talk just for a moment for yourself uh, as a writer, as an educator who writes and writes for various audiences and purposes, what role does writing play in your life and, and how do you see yourself as a writer? It's a very deep, great question. Um, what is interesting, um, so this is to, to share for a moment, uh, one of the things I do like to write creatively. Um, I write some short stories and poetry here and there. I've written some plays and been fortunate enough to have some of them staged. Um, currently just completed a full length play, but uh, we'll see where, where it goes from here. Um, but here's, when it, here's an interesting thing that happened over the last several years that I've noticed. Um, there was a time where I saw it as a dichotomy. I saw that there was the writing that I did for educational purposes on the simplest nature of just writing a lesson plan, go bigger than that, even you know, writing about or for a you know, journal entry or something like that. Um, and then there's the creative writing, um, which is you know, a different world. And so that dichotomy, I thought, was, was how I operated, you know, that there was two different worlds. And what I realized is, is that, that, um, that, that boundary, that dichotomy is, is very, very, very fluid and fuzzy. And so what I realized is, is that there are, you know, and this may sound extremely wonky um, for all of the people out there listening, I apologize, but uh, or you may, you may even question my my authenticity of saying the statement, but there are times where even writing an online guide for my teachers in our district for for a platform, the I feel real joy out of that. As far as um, I realize that there is, you know, the ability to narrate and and be cohesive and coherent. There's a creativity even in that that in the practice of it, um, I, I really enjoy. So there's a creativity. And sometimes even in an email, much less something bigger than that, that uh, writing is writing for me. Um, I think that sometimes um, one of the issues probably, you know, um, as an English teacher, uh, as, or, as an English teacher who wants to teach writing and as an English teacher who wants to have kids read, is that we live in a world where there are so many opportunities to do both of those things that we must recognize and, and give credit to all of those different opportunities, both of intake and of outtake. So of the intake, you know, um, most I'm sure of, you know, most of us, anyone that would probably listen to this podcast has gone well beyond the point of thinking that, you know, a book is just that literature book that was published hundred years ago, that there's so many opportunities that kids are reading in articles and blog entries, things that they're, they're passionate about, of course, that they're reading. Um, even reading a whole wall of Facebook or Twitter feed for that matter. I mean, it's, there's words, right? Um, the out is the same, you know, that um, if anything, and this is something I wish, obviously, as I'm sitting here talking and talking and talking, I could probably do a better job of, is that kids live in a world where, you know, from an Instagram or a tweet or whatnot, uh, the idea of being very condensed, you have to, you know, to be able to say a lot, a meme for that matter, to tell a joke in a sentence. Um, there is power in that, that, uh, and a skill, frankly, that I think we need to recognize and grow on. So while I'm all about, you know, um, you know, rich and complex text, and I think the kids shouldn't only just read tweets, don't get me wrong, or write them. Um, I think they need to write long form things and read long form things too. But, um, it is very difficult 
just as I said in the beginning, it's very difficult for me to say there's the creative writing side and then there's the dry academic side. There's a blend on both sides. The, 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 you know, the academic helps me be more precise in my creative world just as much as my creativity tries to hopefully invoke and come through in, in the things I do for my, you know, professional day to day. And so it is with kids, you know, that they, 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 they do a lot of both. And, and that's, that's a good thing. It's just recognizing how do we make sure that they can live in a complex world and, and communicate clearly and, again, that their voice is heard. Right. Yeah, two things I'd pick up on there. One, there's that old adage of I would have written something shorter, but I just didn't have the time. So. <laughs> it's, yes, I love that. I'm still in that. Yes, Please, that's awesome. hear you on that one. And then also... I too. I mean, I, I fancy myself to be a writer and I feel that kind of moment of flow or that moment of creativity yes. describing in, in designing something that's instructionally valuable and may have helped teachers and or students think about a topic or a technology in a way that they hadn't before. And, and I think so often we kind of lump creative writing into that fictional, nonfiction poet or fiction drama, poetry type thing, we, we forget to remind ourselves that actually doing some research and, and becoming an expert at something and then expressing that in a new way is, is really important as well. So uh, I appreciate that you kind of brought that up. So you have shared a variety of things. Congratulations on uh, the staging of your upcoming play, by the way. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're going to get it staged yet, but it is at least okay. the, the play is written. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, that, that's good. That's good. And I should also mention that you have won a number of awards for your teaching and your leadership. So congratulations on all of those aspects as well. Thank you. Um, to, to put you on the spot and to kind of wrap up our interview here, if you had any particular app or website or tool or just something that's on your horizon right now that's really sparked your interest, maybe it's a particular educator you're following, maybe it's a new tool that you've seen that you haven't talked about yet. Is there any one and I know it's hard to narrow it down to one, but is there any one thing that you might uh, alert our listeners to that they should be uh, paying attention to or a person that they should be paying attention to? Gotcha. Um, well, I'm going to start big and narrow down to a tool. So the, the thing that I'm really, uh, one of my passions besides just education technology in general is the idea of game-based learning. Um, probably we had started off the interview talking about, I'm a little bit old school, eighties pop culture guy. You know, I, I remember getting my first Atari, you know, uh, when I was a young lad many, many years ago and, and going from there. Um, so I, I recognize and, and respect the power of, of, of games. Um, and I don't mean necessarily, um, just that a kid playing a game learns, but I do know that, that, the idea of gamification and things like that, there's some powerful opportunities there to give kids immediate feedback, to give them the opportunity of, you know, if you fail the first time, try, try again. And so um, one of the things that uh, and I've blogged about um, this particular one and it's, um, it's contents have been growing over the years. And I'm really interested to keep following it is legends of learning. It is um, right now math and science. Um, but it's the idea of, of uh, they've kind of created a way for a teacher to make a playlist of certain games around a certain standard, let's say. Um, and it's an opportunity for teachers to kind of see in real time how the students are progressing through these games. Um, there's some assessment points where, if, you know, they're asked questions, they answer them, all that kind of data. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting 
you know, talking about a game playlist, it's an interesting way of, of thinking about that as far as um, um, how can we get kids to, to acquire content through the playing of a game, you know, so it's not just all of a, I have a PowerPoint and here's a lecture. Um, I do have to give the learning management system that we have in, in Shelby that we've really just launched called Empower. I have to give that probably another, um, uh, give that some props as well because, um, and it's a learning curve for all of us, but it's the idea of, it's probably one of the first educational tools, certainly first learning management system that we've encountered that really um, puts you in a position where you have to change your pedagogy. Um, in learning management systems we've had in the past, or say a Google Classroom, for example, you could just use it as a place where I'm going to throw a digital worksheet. And in theory, you can get away with that and nothing really could change and, and you could use it for just that purpose. Um, with Empower, one of the big things is that it allows us to do some tracking of mastery grading, um, really assessing students, not just in this one class over this one period of time, but academically over the case of years. There's a transparency and an ability with that that is really, really um, fantastic. Um, we are just on board with trying to get and move to a competency-based education system here in Shelby County Public Schools. And this is one of those lovely gifts that when we found and saw, I'm like, oh yes, this is, this is what will enable us to do that. And it's a learning journey and it's a new tool. We're all trying to, you know, uh, learn with it and so on. But um, it's, it's a, it can be a game changer. And I, wanna, I don't use that word lightly, you know, as far as how we can not just do something digitally, but actually teach differently. And transforming teaching, hopefully, if technology has a purpose, then hopefully it's that. It's that at some point, it allows us to transform our teaching. I can hear that um, idea, you know, echoed through lots of what you've said. And then also, I know, as I work with undergraduate pre-service teachers, do workshops for in-service teachers, work with my graduate students who are studying educational technology, we talk about this idea of you know, what is the tool designed to do and what does it assume of you as a teacher and what does it assume of students as learners? And yes. then how can you maybe think about using that tool in a slightly different way uh, to accomplish different goals? So I, I hear some of that uh, in your answer there too. So thank you so much, Adam, for the work that you do um, with and for educators. And thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. Troy, I, I am phenomenally grateful to be asked to come on to the show, and, and thank you so much. It's great to talk to you face-to-face, -face and thank you for having me. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms, or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com.